All right, if you would uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Those of you that are just joining us, what we're going to be doing for this upcoming year is we're going to actually be going through the book of Acts. We are uh, looking at being in this building for one year and for many uh, reasons that are personal to your pastor as well as to the uh, state of affairs of the church. We're looking at the book of Acts. We're going to get there. We'll get there probably in about three weeks. Uh, we're going to be refreshed again in what is the church and what is God's vision for the church and what's God's purpose and mission for the church and what is the church. As those of you know, there are several competing definitions running around today. Everything from the emergent church to the mega church. There's all kinds of different models of church today. And so we're going to revisit the scriptures and afresh and anew discover who we are as God's people individually and who we are as God's people corporately, the church. What is it? But right now we're looking at Ephesians 6 and we've come to uh, look at the reality of two Tremendous truths that are in this passage. One, this life is war. Paul wrote Ephesians 6 when he gets down to this word in verse 10. Finally, he is targeting all the Ephesian believers in these churches. And he's telling you and he's telling us even today, this life is war. And because it is. How do you stand or what do you do in the midst of a a war like this? And so we're kind of plugging along and figuring that out. And we've seen that the goal of God for you in a life that's war is to stand or hold your ground. And we saw that last week. And the fascinating thing about that is holding your ground on territory already won. So in spiritual war or in warfare, this life is war. The goal of God is not for you to advance, attack, defeat the enemy, take it to him, find him, hunt him, bring him down. It's actually to stand and hold your ground on what Jesus has done. Okay, so how do you do that? That's what we're going to start looking at today. Well, our culture longs for heroes in dark times, does it not? I mean, what movies are setting all the box office records? Which ones? Spider-Man, Spidey, right? Superman. What? (laughs) Fly. Pull the cord, please. You've got the Bourne identity, right? Jason Bourne. And they're doing it and they're breaking all the box office. They're being blockbusters and they're doing what has actually been a fupa to do for many years. And that is have a sequel. I mean, how many sequels make it? Well, now, based on the box office, based upon the culture's clamoring, everybody wants to see a hero. Heroic stories sell, as they should. I mean, Paul tells us in Philippians, he says, you know what? Whatever is honorable, whatever is good, whatever is commendable, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is good, whatever is... Beautiful, whatever is true, dwell on these things, he says. Look at them. Spin them around. Don't take your eyes off them. Let them inspire you. Let them stir you. Let them move you. 
as they should. Right. Well, the church is also longing for heroes in dark times. Did you know I had Jeremy run these down for me? It was actually staggering to read. Fifty uh, percent of ministers that start out today will not last five years. Fifty percent of gospel ministers that start out today won't last five years. One out of ten ministers, one out of ten ministers actually retire as ministers. One out of ten. There is uh, many denominations. Most denominations are reporting an empty pulpit crisis. They can't fill the pulpits with pastors. They've got uh, probably, I mean, I was at a meeting over here just recently, and there's uh, tracks of people that are going into ministry, and everybody's going into this ministry and that ministry, and they indicated where they would like to go, and over here and over here, and this specific splice of ministry. Pastors, none. None. But a youth guy over here and a recreational dude over here and the cool cat over there, tons of them. 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month last year. Every month. 80% of pastors believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Now, I read this after I came to you after my vacation and said, what a blessing you are to us. And to my kids, that my kids long to be here with you. They can't wait to get back. They bug us all vacation long. Can we go worship at Redeemer? They want to be amongst you because I think I think we are beginning to understand what it means to be a redemptive community. People who understand that you're sinners saved by grace. And that pastor's kids did not miss Adam's sin. Right. Well, most pastors are reporting their families have been destroyed. In fact, many pastors, children do not attend church because of what the church has done to their parents. The statistics say. Isn't that interesting? Well, it's not just pastors. Three thirty five hundred people a day left the church last year. Four thousand churches closed in America last year. I received this email on Tuesday. I thought it was very heroic. Here's the email I got. Sexy Christian single girls and guys are ready to date. I didn't even know what to do with that thing. I know I am, but I don't have to broadcast it everywhere. Evangelical teenagers I just read in a recent World magazine. Those that tease me about reading World That's where I get all my statistics. Sociologist Mark Regneris says he reveals now shocking statistics that evangelical teenagers are more sexually and morally active than non-believers. So are heroes only the stuff of movies? Are they? Heck of an entertainment. But real life, give me a break. Can you be a hero, mother of three? Can you be a hero, philosophy professor? Can you be a hero, coach? Can you be a hero, middle-aged doctor? Can you be a hero, empty nester grandmother? Can you be a hero, teenager? 
Can you be a hero, new Christian? Elder, can you be a hero? Do you want to be a hero? Do you know that Paul has come to the end of this book of Ephesians, which is like many Romans. It is one of the most majestic books in all the Bible. I just read last night that when Calvin was preaching through Ephesians, do you know who was in his hearers, one in his congregation? A guy named John Knox. Do you know that? The fiery Knox. He's the one that ends up taking the gospel back to some place that spoke English, I think, Colin. <laughs> Scotland. And brought the gospel to the English-speaking world, which started and was a major part of what you and I are taking place with here in English Protestantism. Do you know what he had at his bedtime when he was dying at his bedside? John Knox. Calvin's sermons in Ephesians. He read them over and over and over again. This is a tremendous book. And Paul's gotten to the end of this book and he says, finally, I am calling you Ephesians to be heroic. To be a heroic church. To be heroic Christians. I charge you to be heroes. Beyond Spider-Man. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. That is the summary statement of the whole passage. Everything else is unpacking what that means. So that's the context. Don't forget that context. How do you be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might? Put on the whole armor of God. Answer. Why? The goal, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up your shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You know, Paul just does not like periods. I have to take a breath. For which I am an ambassador in chains, and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. O Lord, we trust and rely on the power of your word alone. So now, Lord... Unleash heaven on all of us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. On a late June day in 2005 in the mountainous border region of Afghanistan and Pakistan, there were four U.S. Navy SEALs. They made a very critical decision. They decided not to kill four shepherds who stumbled on their position as they were spying out a high Al-Qaeda 
Taliban terrorist leader in a village. These four shepherds with all their sheep just happened to stumble into their position and they made a crucial decision not to kill them. They let them go. One hour later, they're surrounded by 200 Taliban terrorists and fighting for their lives. After hours of brutal fighting, these four seals found themselves in a defensive position around boulders, a boulder field, everywhere. At least two of them already, at least two of the four had at least two bullet holes in them already. Uh, The terrorist leader they were after, he was enraged. He's already lost 60 men to four men, and he just keeps sending them. He has tons of men to send at him, wave after wave after wave. There were more Taliban fighters than the SEALs had bullets for. The commanding officer was a man named Lieutenant Mike Murphy. He was a 30-year-old graduate from Penn State. I thought Pete would like that. And it made a decision. He had to make a decision to save his men. It was a very crucial decision. With a bullet wound already through his stomach from the first volley, this is what he ended up doing. He grabbed his emergency mobile phone, and he's in this boulder field, and he felt like already his men or the Taliban had a two-for-one. They'd shoot one bullet, but they'd get two tries because it would ricochet off all the boulders on his men. So if you have 200 men fighting guns, just imagine what's happening down in this boulder field. He grabs his mobile phone. He looks at the boulder field and he says it's useless in here, which it was. So he had to make a crucial decision. His crucial decision was this. Shocked his men, shocked the Taliban. He grabs his mobile phone and walks out in front into the foreground of this oncoming army. Unprotected. Calls headquarters. All alone, out in this field, and says, my men are taking fire, we're getting picked apart, my guys are dying out here, we need help now. Right then he took a bullet straight through the back, blood spurred out of his chest. He drops his phone, he drops his rifle. And then he straightens his back, picks up his phone, picks up his rifle, Goes back, finishes the conversation to tell them where they are so they could send help. And these were the last words of this commanding officer. Roger that, sir. Thank you. That leaves me breathless, all honesty. It absolutely takes my breath away. Roger that, sir. Thank you. That's heroic. Right. Look at it. It's beautiful. It's true. It's good. Let it inspire you. You should be in awe of it. And Paul says, and there's something more beautiful than that in this passage. There's something more rare than that in this passage. There's something more praiseworthy than even that in this passage. Do you know what it is? Spiritual heroism. And that's what I need to hear. Do you need to hear that? Spiritual heroism. He portrays even something greater because he holds it up to us and says, do you see it? He says, when you see it, look at it. Don't take your eyes off of it. 
Let the beauty, let the glory, let the commendableness of it, let the truthfulness of it, let it shine like the sun into your heart. Let it sink into your soul in such a way that it strengthens you and it stirs you to be a hero, is what he's saying. And he holds it out and says, this is what you're made for, Ephesians. You were made for this. And not only that, everything that was lost in Adam, you can see in Ephesians 6, you gain in Christ. It's called the armor of God. And that's what we're going to look at today. He holds it up to us and he shows us that the purpose of this passage is to make you a hero. Now, remember, if you come to the scriptures and you think of the scriptures as just a dry document filled with content about some peripheral theoretical knowledge of God, like, you know, he's sovereign and he sits on a throne. And, oh, yeah, he's inscrutable and and he knows all things. And this is just great stuff to talk about. But if you see the scriptures as a living word, powerful The scriptures are here to actually make you a hero even as I speak. And Paul is saying that that's the purpose, because look at verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that well, that means goal, purpose, end that you may be able to stand. Go down to verse 13, same thing He's just summarize it, take up the whole armor of God, that end, purpose, you may be able to withstand. Hold your ground. Be a hero. But how does this happen? I mean, how do you become a hero? How do you hold your ground? And that's that's what we're going to look at today. That's our point today. The long answer is this. It happens when you put on the armor of God. Verse 11, verse 13. The short answer is found in verse 14. It says stand. And then it goes in and gives you all these articles of the armor. So the long answer is how do you become a hero? How do you hold your ground on territory already conquered? How do you stand amidst the onslaught of the enemy, a life that's war? How do you do that? Answer is put on the armor of God, specifically verse 14. Here are the particulars. Clip, 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 clip. Go. No. Stand. Okay. so particulars is this. The short answer. Here's our point today. Arm yourself with the gospel That's how you become a hero. Some of you have read this passage and you're like, I didn't know the armor of God was the gospel. That's 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 new to me. I want you to see in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Remember, we saw that the might refers to the might that was used in chapter one of verse 18, 19, 20, 21 and 22, which was the resurrection that God exercised his might in raising Jesus from the dead. And so you're being strong in Christ's victory and his exaltation. So that's the context here. And we also know that the particulars of the armor of God, it's some it's God's armor. And and the armor is stuff that comes on the outside. There's nothing here that talks about armor on the inside, your transformation, your change. The whole context of this passage is it's gospel armor. It's put that on. And so that's what we're going to look at. So I'm, I'm sorry if I'm shocking you. If you're, this is your first year already here at Baylor and you're like, whoo, we went to the Presbyterian church today. <laughs> Woo, man. Well, if you hang out, you'll get used to it. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three particular armaments of the gospel because I don't have time to do all six. We'll do three next week, three today, three next week. But the point is the same. Don't get off the point. 
how you become a hero, how the text is making you a hero, is that as you hear it, as you read it, the Bible is actually putting on you armor. Arm yourself with the gospel. That's how. Okay. All right. In your life, my friends, you will find yourself hesitant. You will find yourself burdened. You will find yourself shaken. You will find yourself confused. You will find yourself weak and fearful because of the things you will face in life. You'll face things like relational conflict with someone in the church. You'll face things like uh, someone with an evil agenda. You will face things like uh, a loss of a loved one. You will face personal loss of vision and identity and purpose in your life. You'll face it when you have a family, a loss of vision and identity and purpose for your family. As a parent, as a spouse, you'll find that even as a church member. You know, what's my vision? What's my purpose? What's my identity as a, as a one among many of a church? Is it just to attend on Sundays, as important as that is? Is that it? You will have unexplained fog of discouragement and depression hit you. You might have the unfaithfulness of a spouse hit you. And here's what happens. You'll struggle. You'll struggle at those times to hang on to reality. Your feet will shift. And you're going to know, want to know what's true, what can I trust in, what's reliable, who am I, what's going on. That will happen because here's what happens. You have a crumbling circumstance. And when a crumbling circumstance hits you, it generates in you powerful emotions. So when this crumbling circumstance hits you and you face these in life, you have you have powerful emotions that are generated and these powerful emotions morph or they turn into conclusions, interpretations of reality about God, about your circumstance, about yourself, about other people. So you have a crumbling circumstance hit you. Powerful emotions well up within you. A war begins of worldviews and beliefs in your mind and your emotions and your passions lead you into certain views Beliefs, core convictions. And you start believing things you didn't believe before or you start actually not believing things you always used to believe. And that happens in this interchange. Do you know what the first thing the Roman soldier did before he went into battle? He was way ahead of Nike, way ahead of Under Armour. He put his Under Armour on. And it was a leather apron that he wore that would cover his core, his midsection, his private area, this, this area from the waist to the thighs. And it was a leather apron and it went under all his armor. And before he went into battle so that he felt his core was strong and he felt his core was protected, he had to have that on. Imagine... You're a Roman legionnaire and you look across the field and you see screaming, wild eyed, long haired, Germanic barbarians running at you. Do I have my leather apron on? <laughs> Sam, do you remember if I tied mine on? The first thing a Roman legionnaire did, did was strap himself on. Now, if you're in any athletic circles, you know, and you're hearing this, you know what's the talk today? 
Strengthen your core, strengthen your core, strengthen your core, stomach, back, hammies, thighs. If this area is strong, you're strong. If this area is strong, your performance is better. If this area is strong, you know it's strong. You have confidence in your performance. And Paul says, you know what your core is, Christians? Your core beliefs that you trust in, that's your core. Your core convictions that you hold on to, that's your core. And Paul says, strap on the gospel's truths. Arm your core with the truths of the gospel. Because the truths of the gospel will always tell you what's true about God. Always tell you what's true about yourself. Always tell you what's true about a crumbling circumstance. Always tell you what's true about each other. The truths of the gospel are a lens that shine the light of what's true and they anchor you. Don't forget. Look at the passage. Verse 14. Stand. How do you stand? 14a. Stand. This is how. Fasten on the belt of truth. The truths of the gospel. The truths of the gospel you can rely on. Always. And when you fasten on the under armor around your core of these truths, you stand. You become heroic. You become a hero. Now, I've told you guys that recently I have struggled personally with major directions in my life with respect to all kinds of things. But I've noticed that when it is the hardest is when my emotions and my passions are the hottest. And when that happens, I start being... On, there's an onslaught for the mind. Like, you know, God loves you, Jeff, but he's just a little too busy right now with the world's affairs to deal with your personal little issues. It's all up to me to make this stuff happen kind of thoughts that go through my mind mattering i know what mattering is mattering is what i can do with my own hands that's it that's my identity that's what i need that's the vision for my life right what you need to do is you need to arm yourself with the truths of the gospel like our father who art in heaven which one is that well our father so you're calling jesus your father Are you calling God your father because Jesus has made you a son? He is now your father. He's not a distant boss. He's not an angry coach blowing his whistle, waiting for you to blow it. Ray doesn't do that, by the way, though. He's your father, so he does care about these things. You can arm yourself with truths of the gospel like down in Romans. Remember this one? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you all. How will he not also with him give you all things? Do you see the point? He's saying, look, the hard part, brothers and sisters, friends, Romans. The hard part is he gave up his son. Do you think dealing with whatever you're dealing with now is is hard to him? Man, that's that's. He gave his son. He'll give you everything else. There's truths of the gospel like in Corinthians. And Paul says we have this treasures in jars of clay. The literal translation is we have this treasures in bedpans. 
Paul says, you won't find your identity. You're a bedpan. And I'm a bedpan. And in that bedpan is the treasures of God. Your identity, your significance, your mattering is in Him. Alone. Not in yourself. Okay. So the first way to stand is to arm your core with the truths of the gospel. What's the second way? Well, Paul Tripp, I just read about this the other day. He, he said he noticed something that was preventing believers from having close community with each other. He noted something on a Wednesday night Bible study that was preventing Christians from having a close communion with God. He said it happened in the middle of a small group Bible study on a Wednesday night, and it happened when it got down to the prayer time. When everyone started listing out their prayers and he made this, he said it was like an epiphany moment. He said, as soon as he started hearing the prayer requests, he said stuff like this. Why do we all feel the need to clean up our prayer requests before giving them? And why are our prayer requests so situational, circumstantial, and we're not in them? He said something. He said this. He says, why are we all so skilled at editing ourselves out of our prayer requests? Why are we so good at sharing difficult circumstances we face, yet afraid of talking about our struggles in the middle of the circumstances? It was as if we had all agreed upon an unspoken set of rules, a conspiracy of silence. You know why you keep your heart and I keep my heart from God and why we keep it from each other? It's in this passage. Do you know why? Because we rely on our own righteousness. When you and I rely on our own righteousness, you got to protect how good it looks. And you know, and I know, that deep down inside, we know we don't have any. And so the cosmetic job's got to be really good. Right? And if you know you don't have any, it keeps you from God. If you know you don't have any, it keeps you from close community with others. And that's what happens. And Paul says, hold your ground. Stand, believer. Stand in this. Stand in a breastplate of righteousness. In fact, look at the literal translation, 614B. This is the second half of the 14A, which we just saw the... The core undergarment put on the breastplate, which is righteousness. Put on the breastplate, arm yourself, arm your heart with a breastplate, which is righteousness. Most of us here this morning have a half gospel. Do you know what I mean by that? Most of us here this morning have the cross and we understand the cross because at the cross, we understand we're forgiven at the cross. We understand Jesus took our sins away. And so we get that one, but we only got half of it. We don't have the crown part of the gospel. You know what the crown part of the gospel is? This is when Jesus rose from the dead. It was a God declaration legally that Jesus is righteous. Oh man, what do you mean by that? I, I thought he always was. Remember, to be your substitute sin bearer He had to be a man. And remember, in order to be a substitute righteousness for you, he had to be a man. 
but he had to obey God perfectly, as Philippians says, even unto death. And so his whole life he obeyed God loyally and lovingly, fully obeying God all the days of his life. Every moment of his life he kept the the law or the the covenantal stipulations. He kept everything that, that has to do with righteousness. And then he even takes the curses of law-breaking of sin, which is death, on him. And when it was all said and done, God says, you're my righteous son. You're the second Adam. You're the true Israel. You're the covenant keeper. And so at the resurrection, what we have is not only a legal declaration. Here's for you theological geeks, a an eschatological demonstration. Well, let's just keep going. That was too tough. You have a legal declaration. In other words, this is my beloved son. This one does what Adam didn't do. He is righteous. He's exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. We see that in chapter 1. Remember, he's exalted by the strength of his might. God raises from the, him from the dead, sits him at his right hand. This is my son. The king does everything Adam was supposed to do. The prized image bearer, the faithful witness. But not only that, here's the the theological word, eschatological demonstration. Think new creation. He brings in a new creation. The first Adam came with the first creation. The second Adam brings in the new. Now. Paul says, put that on. Put around your heart the righteousness of another, the one who is justified. In him, when a Christian trusts in Jesus, he not only gets his sins taken care of, half the gospel, but he gets all the righteous declaration that Jesus has, an imputed legal righteousness that actually gives you justification now and ushers you into a new creation. You get it. And Paul says, arm yourself with it. Put it around your heart. If you do, if you arm yourself with it, you will move towards God fully. You'll move towards God without fear, and without pretense, without relying on your own righteousness. You'll move towards God because you know that he accepts you. You know that he loves you. You know that you have his favor Because it's in Christ's righteousness that you have it. And what does that do about your relationships with each other? Well, it means you don't have to pretend. You know you're unrighteous. They know you're unrighteous. I'm wrapped in the righteousness of another and I'm a work in progress. And so we can talk about how we're a work in progress. Okay. All right, so there's real community with each other as well as real communion with God. Let's end with this last one. We have to end. And this is the third point. Remember, our point is this. If I was asking it in a question, it would be this. How do you become a hero? That's the point in question form. If I give it to you propositionally, the point is arm yourself with the gospel. The first was you're arming your core with truths of the gospel. The second article on the armors, you're arming your heart with the righteousness of the gospel. And now let's look at the third one. And that is going to be looking at the gospel, the peace of the gospel. Now, some of you have given up being a hero. Some of you said, oh, this is great. We've been talking about being heroes, but I know that I have failed 
in so many miserable ways and so many perpetual ways that I'm not a hero. I'm a villain for crying out loud. I'm not a hero. And maybe throughout here you got your hopes up a little bit. Maybe I can be a hero. Maybe I can arm myself with the truths of the gospel. Maybe, maybe I can be armed my heart with the righteousness of another and not mine. And you think you're getting there and almost. I'm still a massive failure. And every time I look into other people's eyes that I care about, I see my failures in their eyes. And it tears me apart. I know what I'm like. They know what I'm like. Who the heck am I trying to kid? Now, God wants to have a word with you. Remember when your mom used to say that when your dad would come home? My dad will be here in a couple weeks and you will shake when I do when you see that. When my mom would say, my, your father wants to have a word with you. But this is a good word. God does want to have a word with you. And it's a very short word. And this is what he wants to say. Dig in. Dig in. Do you know why the, the, uh, the Roman legionnaires were so feared and had conquered the known world? I mean, was this the reason? Was it because they fought naked and painted blue swirls all over their body like the salts of old? No. Was it because they beat their shields with their spears and had these horrific battle cries that they would yell like the many barbarian hordes that they would come against? No. Well, maybe it's because they were those sea people, those crazy people that came with, with these bullowing battle horns and they came dressed like creatures of another world with horns on their head and they were called the Vikings. No. Well, maybe it was because they were the, these massive, wild-haired Germanic tribes that would just throw themselves upon the legionnaires and fearless bloodlust. No. Do you know why the legionnaires were so feared? Because they silently stood their ground and did it really well. They didn't say a word. Everybody else is yelling and hooping and hollering and and they stood there not moving an inch. Let me read this text literally in Greek because you don't get the full force of it in the English translation. So I'm going to read it to you. Remember, the governing verb is verse 14, stand. Now we're going to come down to 15. Here's the literal translation. Stand by fixing your feet in the traction or readiness. Your translation probably has readiness, right? But when you see readiness, how do you interpret the readiness? Quick feet. Readiness to run. Readiness to move. You know, Nike shock sandals, ready to take off. But the readiness here is not to move. The readiness here is to hold your ground. Okay, so let's read it again. Stand by fixing your feet in the traction which comes from the gospel. A gospel that gives you peace with God. Do you see the picture here? 
the picture, the, the, again, this is usually taught, dig your feet. The, the point is, dig your feet into the peace of the gospel. The, the point and the way this is usually taught is that your feet are flexible. When you get the peace, put on the gospel of peace so that you're quick and you're able to share the gospel with everybody. Now, that's, that's, that's a truth. That's, that's something that's true in the Bible, and that's a good thing, so I'm not knocking that down. That's not the point here. The point here is to fix yourself in the peace of the gospel so that you stand against the onslaught of the enemy. The Roman legionnaires, what they did is they had these heavy, heavy sandals that were half boots, so they would come up about here. So when they would tie it, they'd have leather thongs that they would tie around three-quarters of an inch of leather bottom. And then below the leather bottom, there were these spikes that were attached to their sandals. These were not for running. These were only for standing and holding your ground. And Paul's picture is, friends, and those of you particularly that feel very unheroic and that you're never going to be a hero, you can never amount to what Ephesians is talking about. His answer is, you're right. You can't. You're not. That's why it's gospel armor and not sanctification armor. Not how well you're changing your life armor. It's gospel armor. And he's saying, plant yourself in the peace you have with God. What can man do to you? Bring on the accusations. Bring on the looks in someone's eyes. You have peace with God. Because Jesus has finished the work. And when you get that, and you get armed with that, and when your feet start standing in the peace that you have with God right now, you stand like a hero. Always. No matter what crumbling circumstances going on all around you, you have peace with God. Amen.